Since the day I was born, I should have been a farmer, you know? I love chickens, pigs, ducks. Kind of fond of nanny goats, I am. God, I love baseball. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the IMMP, the Intermillennium Media Project podcast. My name is Matthew Porter. And I'm Ian Porter. I'm his dad. He's my son. And it's April. It's the uh, beginning of April. And what does that make us think about? The snow is about to get worse for a moment. <laughs> yes. Oh, no, that's, sorry. That's, sorry <laughs> that's, just ta- that's just speaking here from the mountain outpost. <laughs> but it also makes me think about baseball. Oh, that makes a lot more sense than we actually had opening day was March 30th this year. So oh. they'll already be playing baseball by the time anyone hears this podcast. Aha. But it's that time of year. So I thought it was time to, to show you a sports movie, a baseball movie. We done a sports movie yet? Uh, I don't know. Have we, have we, have we done a sports movie yet? I don't, I don't know that we have. I don't think yeah. so. Yeah. Uh, Wait, do you count the weird roller derby that laser kills everybody in Logan's Run? Does that count as a sport? Um, nah, probably not. I know. I guess not. Is just is Pokemon yeah. a sport? Actually, you watched a Pokemon movie. I might have gotten us with the Pokemon movie early. It, I mean, that yes. has you know. That has a whole like league competitive thing, huh? maybe. But I don't think we've watched an honest to goodness sports movie. Yeah, I think this is our first sports movie, and that's interesting because that's an entire subgenre. It is, and there are there are a few sports that I like. I mean, I grew ah. up I grew up watching hockey. Uh, I like baseball, certain types of auto racing, and. Okay. Uh, and that's about the size of it in terms of my sports fandom. Yeah, we're mm, yeah, not sportsy in that sense. And yet, sports work very well for movies and for storytelling in general, but especially especially for movies, I think. And there are a few different reasons for that. I think one reason is that sports gives you such a clear structure for storytelling. There are different sides. And winning and losing is very clear, and it can raise the questions, what is someone willing to do to win or to avoid losing? There's something very, very similar to war movies, but in a separate way, where there's this same kind of of passion, distress, multiple groups, and opposing side, but there is a camaraderie and a an upliftingness that a sports movie can have, because it is this more esoteric and sometimes simplified combat in that sense yeah but you can still have similar arcs of rise and fall and passion and despondency all within this but the stakes are rebalanced because of that threat involved yeah i guess that's right because the stakes are not as genuinely high as they are in a war movie 
you can get away with taking the stakes more seriously in over the in, in other ways because because it's all artificial. Everything about sports is artificial, so it highlights certain real things about people and personalities. But if you get a story about a team with a diverse group of characters, with a main character who we're following through this this challenge and how they come out the other side, but we're also learning and seeing the connections they made with other people going through the same struggle. You wind up with a very same similar pattern between a sports movie and a war movie in that sense, because you know, the, the group you're with and learning the people and maybe someone leaves the team is a little harsher in the war movie version, but it can have an impact on the morale of everyone else. And there's something to it. Yeah, and I'm thinking about other kinds of sports movies, boxing movies, and that's another sport that I used to really enjoy. I followed boxing a lot until the sport sort of, in my view, destroyed itself a few decades ago. But you you see boxing movies, it distills everything about conflict into this one artificial structure that is just the great framework for story and character. Oh, yeah. So I guess uh, uh, we should... Make it clear what movie we're talking about this time around. Yeah. We're talking about what is one of the great sports movies of all time, I think. uh, Really? Okay. (laughs) I do. And it is The Natural. I had not heard of this. Wow. Wow. I had not known of this. That's a failing on my part. (laughs) This was completely unknown to me. This movie was... I had to ask you what the name was for me to go watch on watch it a couple of times, but just I could not remember it. <laughs> it just seemed like, oh, oh, this is a thing. Okay. And the wildest thing is, I realized just how out of my depth I was when trying to look for this movie. And I found the entire documentary about the impact the movie had, which has a running time almost as long as the movie before I found the movie. <laughs> To watch, I'm I like, well, yeah, I didn't know about that um, about that documentary until I went to find this movie to watch it. Yeah, I have not seen that. I'm really psyched to watch that documentary now. Yes, but we're watching. We, we watched the Natural from the magical year of 1984, uh, directed by Barry Levinson. It's from a 1952 novel by uh, Bernard Malamud, and it stars Robert Redford. Robert Redford as Roy Hobbs. Robert Redford at this age looks like what all these designers during like the Xbox 360 era of video games were trying to model their main character to look like. <laughs> he is approachably generic in a wonderful way. He is. He's got that, that kind of classic look. He's the world's most handsome everyman. Yes, that's exactly right. Which makes him great for this role. Because The oh, Natural yeah. is, uh, not, not all sports movies are like this, but The Natural, it's, it's a fable. It really is. It is this, it's, it's a, a, a fairy tale. It's a fable about a certain kind of person and about choices, and it's set in the world of baseball. It's a myth. It's a mythological yes. story. And they don't, they, they're even kind enough in this, for this review, to reference the myths they took inspiration from. Yes, yes. There's that, uh, that com- speech at the beginning about knights and and uh, uh, Homer and 
other examples of telling this kind of mythical story about heroes and choices. Yeah, he's a, he's a little bit uh, he's a little bit a knight of the round table. He's a little he's Samson from the Bible. He's he's multiple characters yeah. mixed in here, but he they 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 reference back to the legacy they're trying to attach him to, and they do a decent job there in terms of the the way they are giving the story. And they do that. They do that explicitly in a couple of speeches, but they also do that less explicitly, but but no less clearly throughout the whole movie. I mean, it's no accident that the team he plays for throughout the movie is the Knights. Oh, yeah. There's there's no accident that his name is Roy. He's a king. Oh, Roy. Oh. You know, he is kind of Arthurian in that sense, because he's this man of power who wanders into a, with a group of knights, wielding a wielding a a a powerful weapon that was bestowed upon him during a time of strife by what seems like a force from above. I mean, his Lady of the Lake was a little bit more, you know, localized <laughs> precipitation, but still. <laughs> yeah, yeah there is some. Yeah, they, they they keep that going. The movie that I kept that kept coming to mind while I watched this movie this time was The Green Knight. Oh, that recent version which, we saw? Yeah, that's that was released since the last time I saw The Natural. And I'm not saying that they are like parallel to one another, but in terms of what they're conveying, the kinds of characters they're presenting, some of the choices they're they're facing that character with, and some of the things that are not as good about both movies. They're they're very much they they resonate with one another very much I think because they're about this knightly figure who has a destiny and it's a question of what will he allow to get in the way of that destiny what will he do to achieve that destiny uh, how is he going to use this for the benefit of others and what is he tempted by along the way yeah it's it very much fits that and. They definitely they definitely don't pull punches in terms of this story, I will say. Because I was like I caught on to all of this early as they set up him as a young boy getting ready to be excellent at baseball. And they do a very good job setting up that his got he's got these skills and he's going to go into the 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 professional f- sport of it and they swerve me so hard <laughs> there. I jumped out of my seat when that happened. <laughs> And what I'm referencing, I'm not sure if there's anything you want to add before we get to this point, but I'm going to jump straight to it. Oh, yeah, I'd say so. Uh, yeah, this starts with an up-and-comer getting shot. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. I yeah. did not expect that. They do this whole thing of him meeting, him showing his skill against you know an already legendary player, getting into these small bets and such, and they, they pivot on the audience just as much as he's pivoted on when one of the people he's meeting up with pulls a gun and shoots him in the hotel. Even before that, they do take pains to establish what kind of person this is. We have all of the, the lessons from his father, the central one of which is you have a gift. It's wrong not to use that, but having a gift is not enough. You have to hone it. You have to make yourself the best person you can be in order to make use of this gift. Yeah. And we see him just do that. He he takes that to heart. That's that's a good lesson. But but yeah, it eventually leads him getting called up for a tryout from a professional uh, major league baseball team. But on his way there, 
he proves his his ability to a crowd of people, including journalists, by striking out a character who they call the Whammer, played by Joe Don Baker. Don't know if you remember yeah. him from Mitchell on Mystery Science Theater. Oh, that's him. <laughs> that's where I recognized him from. Clearly, oh, supposed my to goodness. be a Babe Ruth character. They, they never come. Oh, out absolutely. Say He's like yeah, the, a, a big heavy guy who's the best hitter ever. And they've made it clear that that Roy Hobbs is a tremendous pitcher. Yes. And he strikes out the whammer in three pitches. And that is about to go into the newspapers. A guy named Max Mercy, played by Robert Duvall, is going to write a column about it. He's about to be famous before he even gets a chance to play in a single Major League Baseball game. Exactly. And he never gets that chance because, as you said— there is a a a hero stalker on the loose. She takes pride in taking down people with with ability. Yeah, we get these hints that you know there's a a, a a an Olympic athlete was murdered or something recently and things like that. And it's clear she's been stalking the Whammer, who's the best, most famous baseball player out there. Mm-hmm. And then her attention is diverted when she sees. Roy Hobbs strike out the whammer. And it's it's a little bit uh overdone I think. We see we were introduced to her character before uh before the the contest between Roy and the whammer. I took her for a for a nosy reporter honestly. That's what it seemed like. But when she's watching that that contest between them and Roy strikes out the whammer, it's like I don't know how, why Barbara Hershey plays it quite this way, but it's all like a terminator kind of move. Yeah. Where you just see her, she's looking at the whammer, she, her head pivots sharply to look at Roy, and it's like, new target acquired. Yeah, you can almost hear the servos, just... <laughs> right. ching, ching. It's weirdly robotic, in, a, in almost distractingly yeah. so, although their point is, well, she has a target, and whammer's not really her target, and she knows that now. It's the part that she acts the least natural in, and that kind of is a signal like something's off with this lady but from there we immediately cut to like 16 years later yeah after she um she lures him into her uh her hotel room and then shoots him yeah 16 years later like you say and he is Showing up to uh, because he's now he's uh, he's got a contract with the New York Knights. Their scout found him and and gave him a contract, and he showed up to play baseball. And the uh, pops, the manager of the New York Knights, is not very happy about this. This scout sending him a rookie who's at retirement age. Yeah, and and it kind of sets up that the uh, manager pop is going to be the the antagonist for most of the story because he is already just up in Hobbes's grill the entire time. <laughs> and yet I, I wouldn't say he's the antagonist. He's kind of the gatekeeper. He is the person. Yeah. He's the judge. Well, I, it, it's, it's no. weird to say that because he's not <laughs> the judge. The judge is another character, but he is the character who must pass judgment. He's the character who must be persuaded that you are good and pure and capable and that you can do what you claim you can do. And who is not going to be fooled uh, in order for you to make that next step and become what you're supposed to be. 
so I don't I don't, don't know that I'd call him an antagonist, but he's definitely a challenge to be overcome. In a comparison to Hercules, getting him on his side is one of the feats Roy will obta- will achieve. Yes, yes, because Pop is he he is tired of of the scout sending things, and we find out later the scout's doing this on purpose, sending yeah, exactly. players who shouldn't be able to do anything. And he said, "Well, you can give him a contract. You can t- tell me I've got to let him suit up. I don't have to play him because I'm the manager of this ball club." And leaves Hobbs on the bench. While the knights who are in the cellar continue to lose, Hobbs gets to sit on the bench and watch the team he's put on lose over <laughs> and over and over. And we do get some some losing montages throughout this uh, movie. Ah, uh, yeah. And Hobbs is is he's 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 patient, but to a point. He doesn't have patience for all of the the motivational speakers and things that the managers bringing in to talk to the uh, the team and and give them a winning spirit when they're not even, why why does he have to sit around and listen to this stuff when they're not even letting him play they're not even letting him pick up a bat during practice exactly but eventually they do eventually they do they're put into a situation where he has to pinch hit after he's already kind of yelled a bit at uh the manager to get him to at least consider Yes, and he pinched and hits for, for Bump Bailey, played by uh, uh, Michael Madsen, who's kind of the the playboy, very full of himself, uh, but not the best baseball player in the world. Yeah, he's always winking to his uh, girlfriend in the stands, in that right. sense. But before he gets to pinch hit, he does get a chance to take some swings in batting practice. Yes. And he shows people that he can hit. Now, we've really only seen him as a pitcher before, before the events of, uh, of 1923. And yet he had this bat. This was before the days of the designated hitter. You want to be a baseball player. You got to be able to hit. doesn't matter if you're a pitcher. And apparently he can hit about as well as he could pitch. We do see uh, him like flinch and check his side a couple times. Yes. And so Robert Redford doing some excellent acting outside of his lines to show a man who has an injury and is aware of it. Right. And is kind of constantly aware and alert about that. And you get the feeling that the man who got shot back in the day was the pitcher. But there was a batter in this man as well. And that man is the one that did not die. Yes, and at and one point during about practice, that. somebody yeah. gets has it convinces him to throw a pitch, and he can still throw an amazingly fast fastball goes like right through the backstop, but that obviously it, hurt him a bit. The injury yeah, took out. Yeah. impacted his pitching more than it impacted his batting. But he pulls out. But like any any uh, hero, he pulls out the weapon he has forged. <laughs> In he, the opening, has him forging this this like on the day of his father's death a tree outside of his house gets struck by lightning the tree his father died and we get a like crafting montage that reminds me of the making of the spear at the start of dragon slayer isn't that great oh yeah but he's crafting this lightning struck piece of wood to become a bat and he and he wood burns into it wonder boy and a lightning bolt and a lightning bolt. 
And this is where I get to do the first of one of these segments in a little while. It's Ian does the math. Or actually, in this one, (laughs) Ian does the physics. Because I looked this up. Yeah. And lightning striking a tree can do some wild things. Really? You flash boil all the water in it. Huh. Which can cause the wood to honeycomb. Huh. As, as sap through the tree expands rapidly, which means depending on where he is, it might be one of the reasons that bat can withstand him and why that bat is so good. Even if it is exactly the right weight, it's solid on the edges and the inside is a better rigidity than standard wood grain would be. <laughs> I think that, that it, is it's interesting. not, I'm, I'm not trying to invalidate him as a character, but I am saying in terms of forging a mythical weapon, this is a great instance of a weapon that can withstand its wielder kind of moment. I'm like, Oh, I like that. And that's a classic part of so many myths that the hero the deserves a weapon of equal ability to his own and the universe provides that or the gods provide that in this case the 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 prairie thunderstorm provides that yeah i like that i was i had i i did not know those fun facts oh yeah and we don't get an an, a, a aging the wood scene but i presume that he let the wood age a little bit as opposed to uh crafting it immediately but yeah, you think so. But he w- he was able to find a piece large enough, and there is a whole thing about after he goes up to his pinch hit, and he's told, knock the cover off of it. He actually does. <laughs> yes. Which is he literally does what, the, what the, the manager told him to do. And I love that there's this entire then montage of like, oh, he's good, put him in. Oh, <laughs> he's getting popular because he's in. Yes. Oh, Like, the commissioners are coming over and double-checking nothing's off, and they're just like, no, he's good. That's nice. There's a lot of movies that would make that the story. Right. We see a newsreel about the fact that uh, they they check out the bat, and it's the right weight, etc. Yeah. Officially, it's a a sanction for league play. And we then go from the kind of losing montage that we had before to a winning montage. Because... His presence and his ability motivates the rest of the team, and he uplifts the entire team with this one player, and that can happen. But again, they it's this is a fable, so it's exaggerated, it's heightened. One of the his his teammates talks about how he likes that lightning bolt. It reminds him of like insignia on uh, on fighter planes. So next thing you see, they're all wearing a patch with a lightning bolt on it on their uniforms. I loved that, that moment. Is great. <laughs> That's one of those, like, ah, it's that lightning bolt. I like that. Smash cut. <laughs> so we we get a sense of you know, this one player who is finally given a chance to show his ability, and his ability benefits not just himself, but the team that he is, has been allowed to be a part of. And like you say, that could be a story in its own right. But, of course, we've got to have more obstacles in the way and more choices to make. And... Well, we had someone attack him, and we've had people challenging. We haven't had a villain yet. So no, here's we one to introduce. Yeah. Because the manager owns part of the team, but the judge owns most of it. The judge is, as the owner, is a very different kind of man. Yeah, Robert Prosky playing a good villain in this. Oh, yeah. 
he's he's cheesy he's hamming it up a little but he's to use those phrases this is some fine pecorino romano and prosciutto this is high-end <laughs> cheese and ham this is not cheap villainy this is a a suaveness that is hard to get so, right sometimes and he's literally a creature of darkness Yes. And has an explanation. I used to be, when I was young, I was afraid of the dark, so I acclimated myself to it. So now that I prefer darkness to, uh, to bright light. Like, yeah, I bet you do, Mr. Evil Person. And saying that to a man we've seen be just like a childhood dream the entire way through. It's like, ah, I trained that childishness out of me. Right. Oh, <laughs> hi. Thanks for the very, very clear uh, counterpoint to our hero. But you did it well. Yes. And we learn that it, he, is, he hired this scout to go out and find terrible players and give them contracts. Because his goal is to keep the Knights from winning. Because if they win the pennant this year, then Pop gets to buy back the shares he was forced to sell to the judge and keep control of the team. If, if they don't win the pennant, then Pops is out and the judge owns the whole shebang. Yeah, and you get the feeling that, like, oh, yeah, they're going to be on a losing streak until I own them, and then I'll toss out everybody and hire good players, and it'll be mine. Yeah, that's the impression you get. Yeah, and we learned that uh, Bump Bailey has been bribed. Yeah, because Bump was also hanging around with uh, Memo Paris, who is Pop's niece, but even Pop says she's bad luck. And she is really kind of the mall sitting at the, the side of the judge. And also the judge's friend, Gus, who's a big-time bookie. Played by Darren McGavin. You recognize, uh, you recognize him? I didn't. Kolshak the Night Stalker. That was him? That was Kolshak. What? <laughs> that was Kolshak? a little what? better, huh? <laughs> yeah, I didn't recognize him at all. Yeah. He was playing that up completely. Oh, dang. So, for whatever reason, the influence of Gus and the judge and, and Memo and, and the bribery, Bailey not playing very well. Bump Bailey's not playing well. But eventually, because... Roy is so much better in the same position. They kind of give him a, and they, they give Bump an ultimatum that he really needs to show he belongs in this team or they'll send him down. And, yep, he can't, he can't withstand Roy. <laughs> and you have to admit that after being given that warning, Bump does try. He does. He actually does. We get to see, there's an entire other story about Bump Bailey, the man who took the bad path and then is recovering. <laughs> Yes. But we don't well, get. He never, yeah, he never gets to recover because he gets killed running through the outfield fence after a fly ball. Yeah, that, that yeah, like, too. Yeah, you killed, <laughs> I'm watching that. Every time I see this, I'm surprised by that. And I don't know why. It's like, you killed Bump. Did you really have to kill him? <laughs> yeah. And, and, and they kill him in actually like a silly way almost. Yes. It's, it, like, it's a little jarring. It's a little out of sync with the rest of the tone of the movie, I think. Yeah, it's you know, oh, bump hits it. Like you, you don't want to tell me he's broken something. He'll never play again. Yeah. Great, but the he's dead. We scattered his ashes over the field. Literally, they're all standing there, and then 
after the ashes are scattered, the umpire puts his hat back on and says, play ball. It's like, oh, you did that before a game. <laughs> what? Okay. That's. Well, then. Awkward. Careful about sliding into second. It's a little slicker. Thanks to bump. <laughs> what are you doing? Yep. So uh, bump, but- bump is the potential hero who, who made the wrong choices and, and ultimately mm-hmm. was unworthy. Oh, in in my notes here, I've got Gus is the evil wizard. The e- what? Uh? Gus the bookie. He's like the yeah. evil wizard sitting at the side of the of the the corrupt king, who's the judge. Yeah, he, he's got his own agenda, but for now, it's in sync. What he wants and what the judge wants are are, he, he, are compatible enough. He does kind of get utilized the same way a Conan the Barbarian movie utilizes giant snake. <laughs> Which is not a sentence I expected to say, but one I'm happy I get to. Yeah, it just means that Roy is uh, is permanently their their right fielder, and it also means that the judge and Gus are not too happy about his influence on the team and the fact that they've been winning, because the judge wants them to lose, uh, Gus wants them to lose so he can keep betting against them. So they essentially deploy memo. Because Memo, played by Kim Basinger, she's essentially like a, a bad luck bomb that these guys target and deploy when needed. Yeah. And they have her flirt with, uh, with Roy, who is extremely interested, and they become a thing. And as Roy spends time with Memo, he starts playing terribly, and the whole team starts losing again. Yeah. And this... this Brings me to one problem I have with this whole movie. There are exactly three female characters. Ah. Uh. And they are such, they're caricatures of specific, over-the-top, idealized story functions, as opposed to getting to be real characters. We've got Glenn yeah, Close, who right. we meet briefly early on, who's, who's Roy's a childhood sweetheart. He's going to go off and, and make his fortune in the majors and then send for her uh, so they can be married. And that doesn't happen, of course, because Roy's major league career never never took off the way it was supposed to. And then you've got uh, Barbara Hershey playing the, uh, the, the, the star killer. And then, then you've got Memo Paris, whose job is to be a, a person who's out for herself, but who has this kind of supernatural bad luck that everybody, including Pop, her uncle, seems to believe in and seems to be true in, in the story logic. Anybody who hangs around with Memo is going to have bad luck. It's just weird. I hadn't put that together. So there's not a whole lot for women to do in this world of baseball as, as portrayed no. by the natural. Yeah, that's just... Mm. Yeah, but... I, I, that, 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 this was a hard section to watch because they show Hobbs getting such a low. Just literally, they do an entire scene where it parallels his actions being the ones Bump was doing. Yes. Like, a, there's a shot-for-shot shot moment. It's like, oh, goodness, that's what this is. And it almost, because they've talked about the bad luck that Memo is, yeah, he's making the decision. He's making the choice to make her part of his life. But it seems to take away 
the decision-making that he has as a character, which, of course, is what's important about stories. He's like, once Memo's involved, it doesn't matter what he does. The only thing, only other, only choice he can make that matters is the choice to stop spending time with Memo. It it, it simplifies yeah. the story a little bit too much, even for a fable. I think. Yeah, because I mean, literally, he's there. He's he's with uh, he's with Memo. It's going bad, and then he sees Iris in the stands, and suddenly he hits a home run again. It's like. This is where the fableness and the cheesiness does get a little over the top for me. It loses a bit of that that heart that it had before and just becomes the 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 rough outline again. So he does as you mentioned, he does get to see Iris again, his childhood sweetheart, and you know, she comes to a game when the uh the Knights are, are playing in Chicago. And yeah, just seeing her in the stands and she's shot with a literal halo behind her, thanks to her hat and the way the the, the sunlight is hitting it. Uh, yeah, that's enough to snap him out of, of this bad luck and at least get him uh, let him hit a run. And he he meets up with with Iris. They kind of catch up. I get the impression that they hadn't really met or spoken since he left to play in the majors. Yeah, it's kind of a fresh meeting that we get to see, and. In some ways, they are able to pick up where they left off. Yeah. Not 100%, but in some ways. She brings out what's good in him because she's this icon of goodness and purity. Mm hmm. And he begins to start to have choices again. And he talks to Iris about everything that happened, why his career never really started, et cetera. Yeah. Eventually, this leads him to break things off with Memo. Yeah, but she doesn't take that well. No. And also, the more time she, he spends with Memo, the more he's remembering what happened to him 16 years ago, including having horrible dreams and things like that. And Memo, by the way, me, meaning memory, I think there's something about oh, that. Yeah. She's, she is, she's a bad path for the future because she prevents him from leaving the past behind. Or the, the parts of the That's past you should leave behind. Yeah, there's, there's a whole thing there. Yep. But yeah, Memo does not take that well, because she wants all the things that Gus has promised her in exchange for making sure that, that Hobbes loses and therefore the, the Knights lose. And she wants she wants to take Gus's money, and she she I think she generally wants to be with, with Roy. But yeah, only only in the terms that would include doing what the judge and what Gus want, because that means that she can do so in, in wealth and prosperity. Yeah, it, it's, as you pointed out before, it's not a great depiction of women in this no, movie in that not. sense. They don't get a lot to shine in, unfortunately. And yeah, then Memo poisons him. Yes. Oh she, boy. She That's... is so desperate to, to do what, what Gus demands of her that she feeds him some tainted food at a party and poisons him, and he ends up in the hospital. And while they're in the hospital, while he's in the hospital, they pump his stomach and find the silver bullet with which he was shot 16 years ago. It's, it, that's just the wild <laughs> moment. It's like, it's like this last attack by Memo, who's become this you know resurgence of the thing that hurt him in the past— when they get rid of the poison that she put in him, 
it removes the last piece of the previous <laughs> thing too. It's like, ooh, symbolic, but a little awkward. But he's in really bad shape. Yeah, he's been slowly poisoned, actually, this entire time by the bullet. This has been, been dissolving your stomach lining. And for some reason, this means that he can't play another baseball game in his life where it might kill him. Yeah. Weird from a medical point of view, convenient from a story point of view. He has to make this choice. Is he going to risk his life? Yeah, that's a bit of an odd one. It's like... I appreciate that the doctor has such a clear idea as to the effort metric that a baseball game is. He's able to say it's exactly one baseball game. It's like, I don't know if you can. It's like, no, if you play one more baseball game, it's like, why is this a specific metric numeric like that? It's like, oh, yeah, you, you want to push that boulder? That's going to be about three baseball games worth of energy there. I don't think you got it in you, kid. I almost wanted to see him start to draw this out on a chalkboard. You know, your reason for being equals baseball. However, baseball game equals you're dead. <laughs> you're dead equals not being. We have, in fact, created a paradox. <laughs> right. And not only does he have this personal medical reason not to play baseball again, but he also gets a visit from the judge. Yeah. And... In addition to that, there's the fact that the information about what happened to him 16 years ago has now been found. And it's interesting, through most of the movie, Max Mercy, the sports columnist, yep. has been trying to he, – he, this guy rings a bell. I, I know I've seen this guy somewhere before, and it was the kid he saw 16 years ago strike out the whammer. And, but you know, this is the 1930s. This is the world before Google. He can't just Google Roy Hobbs baseball. He like puts feelers out in for reporters in every newspaper he knows about and sends them you know, telegrams and calls them on the phone. And does anybody know anything about this Roy Hobbs guy? And eventually somebody finds, uh, some reporter remembers this event where he was shot by this woman and the pol gets the police report and the photographs. And apparently... She was she was dressed in negligee when she shot Roy, and then she jumped out a window to her own death. Yeah. It was this tremendous scandal. They don't make it clear as to why it wasn't bigger news, but it's also something that the, the Cubs might have uh, Covered up. kept quiet at the time. But in addition, so so there's the threat of bringing all of this uh, to light and making this public. So he's being blackmailed with this information. And not just with this is going to be terrible for you. But think of all those young boys who are huge fans of yours and they see you as an inspiration. What's it going to do to them when this news comes out? And then there's also, of course, the fact that uh, they're offering him a whole lot of money either not to play or to play badly. Preferably just don't play. And they actually do a very good job when they're talking about like all of these kids you're inspiring because we've seen some of that already. Iris has a son who's looking up to Roy already. Uh, there is the young bat boy on the nights who is, who goes from kind of dejectively doing his job to energized and excited and kind of, oh, I've now got a father figure. Yeah, good old Bobby Savoy. Cute yeah, kid. good kid. So yeah, all of these people who, who rely on him for that inspiration, not just to win baseball games. And yet, 
as compelling as all these reasons are, everything from his own life to what he means in the lives of others, he ultimately, of course, he can't go along with what Gus and the judge want. He's got to go play baseball. He's got to go play baseball. So we get the final game. Of course, while he's been in the hospital, the Knights have been on a losing streak again, so they have to win this last game to win the pennant. Exactly. We've got to do this. And so a still-recovering Roy Hobbs comes back up, is there in the dugout ready to... comes back to the dugout and is ready for a, a last hurrah. We we had a good scene of bef- the night before the game when he goes out for some like secret batting practice with a couple of the guys, mm-hmm. and Max Mercy sneaks in because he wants to take some uh, pictures for the newspaper. And Hobbs sees him there and just nails hit after hit <laughs> right at Max Mercy. Oh yeah, <laughs> did you get a picture of that, Max? <laughs> get out of here! <laughs> I I liked that. I liked the targeted shots. Yes. That kind of control that we see. It's great. And the moment he's out of there, though, he's having that hurt. Just yeah. That sending took those everything ones, out of him. Sending those ones at max were not, was not easy. So we got to get this, you know, this chance to see just how, how close to the edge of defeat Hobbs is. And yet he, of course, he does play in the big game. In the ninth and- inning, the Knights are trailing. And they do a good job, I think, of portraying that game. We get a fair amount of the rest of the game, enough to find out that Hobbs is not, and we got hints of this before, Hobbs is not the only person that the judge has uh, has tried to get into his pocket. He's got another key member of the, uh, of the team paid off to uh, to throw the game. And we get enough of that. We get the fact that Hobbs is not playing great. He, mm-hmm. he really doesn't have much left in him. He's getting struck out. And we also see that Iris is there in the stands with her son. Yes. And you know, there's the what the what the movie treats as this big reveal about the son, about her son. Is this actually a surprise to anybody in the world? I huh? Well, she reveals to Roy that her yeah. son is Roy's son. That night oh, they had yeah. together before he left for Chicago when they were young. Uh, that's when uh, that that that's when her son was conceived, and it's like they they treat the movie treats this as this big reveal, and she like does everything she can to get a message to Roy in the dugout because she knows that this will inspire him to play baseball good, and it's like the yeah that was that was that was pretty obvious an, an hour ago. <laughs> yeah, we, honestly, we it. I, it it wasn't needed. Just just. No, it didn't have to be his son for it to be important in that sense. It, there was something about that that like it lessened it to me such that I almost forgot it. I just kind of glossed over it because right. I guess because <laughs> yeah. it's like, well, yeah, no, duh. Because in some ways it's yeah. the easy way. There's a yeah. better, more interesting thing if it's not, but he's still, but even if the being there still is an inspiration, there's something there. Eh. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. It works both ways, but it's like, eh. It's distractingly, it's almost um, humorous the way it's like, and we've got shocking news for you. Well, dun, yeah, dun, dun. We, we know. <laughs> we, we've known for the last 45 minutes. Thank you. Yeah. But for some reason, knowing that not only is Iris there, but her son is there, and that it's his son, suddenly he can play baseball good once again. Yes. And so he goes yeah. out for his one last thing. The opposing pitcher tries to hit him with the ball 
to take advantage of his injury and it's yeah. dramatic and ah <laughs> and he hits oh. hard and fouls off a ball and splits wonder boy and also it goes he he fouls one off and it goes right through the window of the press box yes. where uh where max maven is <laughs> he almost I, hits it's max not again. necessary but i love the shot i love the scene i love what it symbolizes it's it's like taking what he was doing at during the practice the night before uh and and heightening it it also made uh, a great scene in the trailers it makes a great scene in the trailers you know, max is gonna get a new nickname max the magnet this right <laughs> but yeah wonder boy is broken Wonder Boy is broken. Yeah. And so, you know, he needs a bat to finish this. So Hobbs asks the uh, the bat boy, Bobby Savoy, to go get him something. And Bobby brings out his own, the bat that Bobby made, the Savoy special. Yeah. And it's early this in wonder- the movie. Early he in the movie. He asks Roy, can you help me make a bat like that myself? <laughs> and it's, it's this wonderful, like, I'm not just wielding my past. I'm wielding the inspiration I've been. Ah. kind of moment but it is also cheesy in that delightful way this is sounding more and more like pokemon the movie three the more i uh, it does it is so much to it (laughs) it is very much and in addition to the bat having broken uh roy is bleeding yeah like on his his apparently the stitches from 16 years ago are bleeding if that made no sense no, that's like a. The doctor talked about the fact that this this silver bullet in his gut has been, uh, um, yeah, has been breaking down his stomach and and causing all kinds of horrible internal problems. No indication that I mean, if if suddenly that's causing the stitches on the outside to start bleeding again, that's like really bad. That's like there's some there's a lot more happening there. Wait a minute. And yet, okay. I don't know. Odd question. A silver bullet lasting inside the stomach that long, I thought it would have been causing problems earlier and been noticed earlier. Could there be a chance that the doctor was paid off by the judge to give Hobbes a reason why his body shouldn't be able to and possibly also do something to him that would make it uh. harder, but harder to notice? <laughs> it's a better explanation than what we get. Terrifyingly. I don't think so. Probably not, but yeah, it's like I doubt that this that should, uh I shouldn't be able to headcanon that. <laughs> the fact that it's leading you to come up with things like that to explain it is is you know problem, yeah. You don't need the blood coming through his jersey for that scene, and it just makes things it's, it's another thing that it's just it's one thing to exaggerate and heighten things because it's a fable. It's another thing to introduce unnecessary things that are so illogical they take you out of that fable. And that's yeah. what the blood is coming through the uniform does. It does. But it's down to his last strike. Hobbs has the Savoy special. And he hits it right into the lights. <laughs> and the stadium lights turn into fireworks. Illuminating uh, the whole thing. <laughs> what? I. What? This is the moment when the judge became more evil than he has been in the entire movie to me. Really? Let me explain to you why. <laughs> yes, please. I the love judge that before was a corrupt <laughs> man ruining the lives of individual players out of a disrespect for the sport. But you know what he's worse at? 
public safety. <laughs> During this kind of time, those, those would have been, I believe they would have been tungsten filament, large tungsten filament or Edison bulb lights. Giant arrays of those were popular at this sort of time in stadiums. There are these metal halide lamps. That's the phrase. These things have huge wattages and would be in large arrays in order to put pretty much a major line straight up into them and run through all of them. And this is the wild thing. Breaking one of those causes a change in the amount of resistance on the line, which means it's absolutely reasonable for one of those bulbs blowing out to blow out every other bulb in that set. But it doesn't do that. When Roy Hobbs breaks one bulb in one of them, every light in the entire stadium goes. <laughs> which means the judge has been paying and running an entire stadium full of paying bands with an entire set of high-powered lights run in sequence instead <laughs> of parallel. This entire thing is a fiery death trap of health code and electrical wiring violations. And it's amazing that Roy Hobbs didn't light the place on fire and hurt more people with that one strike. A single lightning strike like what made wonder boy could have caused massive devastation in this location the judge is such a cheapskate he's putting the lives of thousands at risk be corrupt all you want in this sort of story you're a villain do this i'm mad at you now and i did the math for a good hour afterwards to find out exactly how much he messed with people and i was angry now that we do get a close up of like cables flopping around because of yes. the damage that Roy's shot did, and I figured, okay, that explains it. But I like your explanation that it was it's more of the judge's corruption. It's more of the judge's corruption. None of the other light sets should explode in a well made stadium. <laughs> You're cheap. They should lying. be separately powered, Man. separately grounded. <laughs> exactly. Even back then they knew this. <laughs> I it's so funny. This movie really did like that moment just riled me so much. And they had to set this in the late 1930s so that they could have this final scene because oh, yeah. stadium lights came into use in 1935. Yeah, exactly. And Thank it's it, we we literally get the whole place bathed in fireworks as Roy rounds the bases and the knights win the pennant. Yay. And and the judge's hopes to own the whole thing are dashed, and, and Gus has lost a fortune, maybe his entire fortune. It is a very kind of a very pat ending, but it's the ending this movie needed. He he risks his life. He goes out there for other people. He's inspired by the fact that he learns that he has a son. Yeah. It, honestly, the much more pat part is that after this entire grand victory, we see... Later on in Nebraska, Iris looking out the window to watch Hobbs and his son play catch in an exact parallel of the scene from the start of the movie with young Roy Hobbs, which I think terrifyingly implies Roy Hobbs will have a heart attack and there will be a lightning strike soon. <laughs> well, I don't know. It doesn't in, have to in be a that terrifying secular story. And apparently having a catch on a farm is not deadly the way playing Major League Baseball would be, according to his doctor. Or maybe his doctor was just wrong. This fractional baseball's amount of, of, of stress here. <laughs> but, 
but yeah, we do get to, they, they have to let us know, yes, Roy did survive the deadly baseball game. And yes, he does get to go and, and, and live a peaceful life, no longer playing baseball. Now that he's proven himself, he gets to come back to the place he's from with everything he's learned. Yeah. Which really is like almost perfect. You know, the arc of the, of the heroic story, like, right. <laughs> my goodness, this is, this is down to a T right back to the returning changed. So it's very much a self-contained fable, a fairy tale, a mythological story about this character and about all these other characters and challenges he has to contend with. And I think baseball, sports in general, but baseball in particular, are such a great setting for that kind of story. Because you don't have to worry a whole lot about the entire complicated world of the early 20th century. You can distill it down to what's happening in the world of baseball, and in particular, this baseball club. That self-contained lets it become grander like it it, it seems it seems weird to say but like the fact that it's this contained small story lets it be grander and bigger than itself in that sense yeah by putting it in this small setting all the actions seem that much bigger yeah you get you get a sense of you get a different sense of scale in story yeah. in a great way well i think we are coming down to our final questions then i think we are uh so it is a movie uh, what's uh, our first question is screen or no screen? Um, this was fun, I admit. But unless you're into this kind of film, unless you're looking for this kind of story, I don't know how well it will be. We've been talking about how it's it's such a great example of a type of story. But that means it's that kind of story. And it means it's a little. I don't feel any need to ever rewatch it. And I don't know if I ever would have gone to it unless you suggested it. I'm actually, you know, in an odd way saying no screen. I enjoyed it, but I don't want to recommend it in that way. There's something about huh. it that just, I don't know, it just didn't hit me right. Uh, I don't know. I have to say screen. I just think it is such a well-made movie. Uh, I think it is, I like this kind of, of fable story structure and this sort of focused, simplified story. I, I think it's a great example of this, and it's a kind of movie that I like. So I, I definitely say screen. Yeah, I kind of felt like this is definitely my dad's kind of movie in that sense. <laughs> and I guess that uh, that leaves us another question then. Revive, reboot, or rest in peace? And this, I, I have never really thought about this movie in those terms before. Well, it is based on a book. Yes. It is based on a book, so I guess you could reboot by doing a new version of it. But... Yeah, it would be just another adaptation. This is a movie big enough to have a movie about the movie. Does it need to have a new movie of the movie? Uh, I don't yeah. know if it does. Re re Revival is kind of weird. I don't know what you do. Oh, uh, yeah. I don't know. I guess you do the story of Roy Hobbs as a kid, like maybe not being good at baseball and having to deal with that. Or you go like, I'm trying to think the leftist field thing I can. It's 2027. 
and we're we've made an AI based on this old baseball player, Roy Hobbs, and it starts <laughs> changing the way we approach the game because it does something grand. And now we're just doing a sci-fi story, and the only reason it's named Roy Hobbs is a reference. So I don't know. I don't I think you have to rest in peace. I think that like this movie does its thing, it hits its ball, it hits the lights, and then it goes home, and you can't tell it to do anything else. <sighs> Uh, I I say rest in peace for this movie. The only kind of revival I might be interested in, some another story set in the same continuity. It would have to be a story that does not have to do with Roy Hobbs. I could see another fable set in this same world, the world in which the New York Knights are a are a major league baseball team and they go from last place to the pennant in 1939 but it would be just as the story of sir gawain is one of many stories told about the world of king arthur and camelot and the round table a totally different story that happens to be set in this same mythologized world of baseball i could see that working and i don't know exactly what kind of, of story it would be but i could enjoy another baseball-based myth in the world of the New York Knights. Okay. I'm intru- I, I, I'm taking what you're, what you're going with, but I'm saying it doesn't even have to be about the Knights in that sense. Just the idea of Max Mercy going off and like finding a different story and a different sport there. You wind <laughs> up with, like, I don't know, the Fisher King, but with hockey somewhere else over here, and Max happens to wander into that in the meantime. That's a good a fun- point. Yeah. yeah. You you couldn't have use him as the through line. Yeah. Oh, that's an interesting idea. Now I'm now I'm I'm thinking of Max Maven, like uh, Mako's character in the Conan movies, that he's the chronicler. Yeah, Ma- yeah. Max Mercy is just going <laughs> Max around. Ma- not Ma- Max Maven's a magician. Max Mercy, you're right. Yeah, Max Mercy just going around like he's a, he's a sports reporter. He's not only covering baseball. He yeah. could be going to all sorts of other things, I guess, and getting into all sorts of other mythological modern retellings of things in sports. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Another, another possibility, I suppose you could tell a modern day story. You want a modern day baseball myth. The New York Knights would still be around, presumably (laughs) doing a version of the Odyssey, but there's a group that played a soccer game in California and they're trying to figure out their way back across the United States. So they can catch a, (laughs) catch a boat. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it'd be interesting it would <laughs> so there, there's there's possibilities here but i'm not sure yep i'm i'm open-minded about those but i would really just say rest in peace i think this is a good movie it doesn't need more it is a self-contained story it tells its story it makes its point and it comes to a satisfying ending so i oh, would yeah. say rest in peace i'm with you on that rest in peace so I hope you thought this was a good uh, a good way to celebrate the beginning of baseball season. It was a great way to celebrate the beginning of baseball season. Not my kind of thing normally, but I enjoyed it every once in a while. Well, I'm sure it's not the last sports movie that we'll ever watch, but it, it is my favorite. Oh, good. But there, I'm glad there we are got some to, other sports movies we'll watch. I'm, gl- I'm glad we got to enjoy your favorite. <laughs> uh, some of those involving some of those other sports I mentioned. Hey! Is, uh, among the few that I enjoy. Or oh, have good. enjoyed. But for now, I think that's all for this episode of the uh, the Intermillennium Media Project, and we'll be back yeah. in a couple of weeks. 
In the meantime, Dad, where can they find you online? You can go to buymatthewporter.com or buymatthewporter.omg.lol. And there you'll find uh, links to whatever else I'm doing, including my YouTube channel, which has Draft House Diary movie reviews, uh, not only the movies, but also the food and everything else about each one of my visits to the Alamo Draft House. Uh, and Ian, where can people find you? I can be found at itemcrafting.com or at itemcrafting at, at omg.lol. And there you can find links to things like my Twitch and my Etsy store and stuff like that. Very cool stuff on the Etsy store. Why, thank you. And you can find the podcast at immproject.com, and that's where you will find links to our contact page and our Discord. We'd love to hear from you there. You'll also find links to our Patreon. Thank you for supporting us there, and if you do, you also get bonus audio content. And you'll also find a link to our shop if you like things like coffee mugs and t-shirts and notebooks and, and fun things like that. But most important... Just thank you very much for downloading this. Thank you very much for listening. And we hope you will be back with us in a couple of weeks for more tales of media from another millennium back in the 20th century. In the meantime, go find something new to watch.